Well, hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Delicious Dose of Wellbeing. This is your hostess, Jacina DeMarco. I want to thank everyone for being on the call today. And uh, first of all, wish you a happy new year. I hope that everyone has new, fresh uh, perspectives and, and outlooks and expecting different outcomes. That would be very nice. <laughs> so whatever your new resolutions are, hold on to them, you know, more than two or three weeks and get those done, especially, you know, involving health and wellness. So I want to do that. And uh, we are truly going to have a treat today. We are delighted to have a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine on the line. And uh, he's actually coming here from Bali, Indonesia, Bali. And uh, he's going to be our guest today. And he's going to really enlighten us to some great, great uh, different things that he does, a, a kind of a different approach to uh, healing uh, old wounds and traumas and therapies. And I'm going to let him get into that. But I just want to uh, let you know we have the wonderful Adrian Taffender on the line. And Adrian is an exceptional public speaker, a philanthropist, a visionary, humanitarian, healer, and emotional therapist. And I'm sure the list still goes on from there. But uh, we're happy to have him here today and for him to take out time of his busy schedule to be here. And welcome, Adrian. How are you doing? I am doing magical and amazing. Thank you for asking. How about That's yourself? Beautiful. Yes. Okay, Adrian. And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Well, um, I was born in uh, the United Kingdom um, in a, a place called Leeds. Um, I, I grew up and, you know, I was very entrepreneurial for, from quite a young age. Um, I had actually, you know, three jobs when I was uh, 13 years old. I had several paper rounds and a money collection round. And, you know, I always uh, was a kind of person that liked to get out there and do things. Um, from when I was like a, a young teenager, I was buying and selling, you know, high-end audio equipment uh, and things like that. And, you know, bought and sold a lot of things in, in my teenage youth. Um which kind of culminated in, um, you know, high-end car audio and things like that. And I started my first kind of official business um, when I was 21, uh, employing 28 employees. It was a, you know, a kind of a, um, a property renovation business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went on throughout my many years to... Uh, develop other businesses in various different industries. Um, but one thing I, I, I kind of knew from a, a very young age, like it was really kind of 1920 where and I, I, I used to listen to these kind of audio tapes, Les Brown and Bob Proctor. Mm -hmm. I got involved with a company called Amway. Um, many in America might um, know this. It used to be quite a big thing. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't hear that much about them these days. But 
Uh, it was like a network marketing company, and they had a, a very big self-development kind of uh, part of it. And they had, mm-hmm. you know, monthly books and monthly tapes and things like that. Um, and being dyslexic, I never really engaged with the books a great deal. I've read kind of two books in my entire life from cover to cover. Um, I've skimmed other books and kind of looked at bits and pieces. And one of the books that I I was given through Amway was a book called The Magic of Thinking Big. Mm-hmm. And although I, I didn't really read it from cover to cover, you know, I, I kind of got the premise of it and, you know, from some of the audio tapes and things like that I listened to. And what I would do really is just kind of grab the book and just randomly open it on a page um, with the intention that, you know, the book was going to speak to me in some way. And then I would just read that uh, particular page and, you know, see how it felt and see what it meant to me at the time. And it was kind of interesting because it was always very poignant. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, it was... (laughs) And, you know, I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners have heard about the law of attraction and um, the universe communicating with us all the time uh, so I, I, I kind of played with that from a from a, a young age and you know, I, <laughs> um, you know this can be sometimes maybe a, a controversial or contentious uh, subject in some ways but I, I, I actually explored psychedelics uh, from quite a young age as well you know my, I think the first <laughs> time I took uh, LSD um uh, was i was kind of 16 17 and mm-hmm. it's I, a very exploratory helped, yes and this this helped <laughs> me kind of really explore and understand a hell of a lot of things that i now understand um a significant amount more um mm-hmm. in the consciousness realm um i've always looked at this universe and this world in a in a different way um than it would have seemed from the input that i got from other people um Mm -hmm. you know from as early as i can remember really i mean one of my first experiences as a child um was at five years old and I, I very I remember it in, incredibly vividly. Um, it was it was actually a very pivotal event in in a number of ways. And mm-hmm. what it was, it was in the middle of summer. It was a beautiful, warm summer's day. I lived in Leeds. We were right next to this really big park, which had a huge field. And in summer, it would be populated with people playing frisbee and playing football and having picnics and, you know, doing all those kind of things. And, you know, there was probably over a thousand, you know, several thousand people in there. You know, it was, it was such a big area. You know, it, it, it'd probably take you, you know, 10 or 15 minutes from, to walk from one end of it to the other. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And... You know, I there was a park just across the width of it, not the length. And I was walking across one day and the park was full and very busy. And I was going across to the swings and the, the slides and that 
where I would like to go. And for some reason, there was this gentleman, you know, uh, just fast asleep in the middle of the park. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, for some reason, it just stood out. It just, I noticed him. Um, and I thought nothing of it, but carried on going and went and played in the park. And I was there for some time. And it started getting early evening. The sun was kind of waning and it, the temperature had cooled a little. Um, and I, I decided to walk back home. And the park at that time had, had pretty much empty. It was probably about 20 people in there. And the nearest person, apart from this gentleman in the middle, was, you know, probably hundreds of meters away. And I was sure. walking across to my house and I was just going past this person. They were probably... 20 meters away from me um and i just clear as day heard this voice say please wake me up and i remember mm-hmm. literally stopping and looking around me and there was just nobody else you know um you know within any significant distance of me and and then i heard it again please wake me up and i, I kind of looked over this guy and this guy was still fast asleep and i walked over to him probably to about maybe three metres, four metres away. And I shouted, excuse me, mister, do you need waking up? And I said it a couple of times and the guy kind of roused and kind of rubbed his face and was really kind of disorientated and sat up. I was like, and he looked at his watch and he was like, oh my God, I've got a date in five minutes. If I run, I'm going to make it. Oh my God, how did you know I needed waking up? Thank you so much. And he reached in his pocket and gave me this 50 pence piece. And, mm-hmm. and ran off and just tore off up, up the park. And I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, he really did need waking up and I was rewarded for it. And I was like, wow. And you, you've got to understand, back then, you could get... What was that equate to? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> for me, back then, you would have got a bag of 20 sweets for half a pence. Oh, boy. Yeah. So to have yeah. 50 pence... I mean, it was probably like giving a five-year-old something like 10 or $15 these days. Oh, boy. In equivalent value. So I was like, I was rich. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went running home, um, you know, and I ran in the house. And I was like, Daddy, Daddy, look what this mister gave me in the park for being a good boy. Yeah. Well, my my father didn't quite understand and he he was like what did he do to you are you okay and he started kind of patting me up and down and and i was like yeah i'm fine i'm fine what and he grabbed the money out of my hand and he was like right i'm gonna kill him and he just tore out the house nearly taking the hinges off the door and my you know as somebody who feels people very deeply and sensitively i'm you know what I now understand and people term as a a clairsentient empath. Clairsentient is I sense things. An empath, you know, is you're empathic. You have empathy, which in essence means you you experience and feel other people's emotions, you know, very viscerally. Mm -hmm. So all I felt was my father's rage towards this person and that, you know, he wanted to harm him in some way. And I'm attempting to explain everything's all right. But, you know, as a child, I'm very limited in, you know, my communication skills. Yeah. And nobody was understanding me. Um, 
and it was at that you moment. You probably second guessed yourself, uh, thinking that you did a good deed. Exactly. So it wasn't, it was literally, it wasn't until 2014 I realized and I learned and I understood the impact that that event had on me. Um, mm-hmm. And this was, you know, and I'll, I'll kind of explain a bit more in a bit, but this was when I met um, somebody who became a mentor of mine, who uh, was a, a mentor of a very famous and, you know, uh, successful, um, you know, guy called Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. And, um, oh, yeah. The... Um, the success principles, uh, some, you know, quite amazing books. And so what I learned in that moment was using my gifts can hurt people. And that I, mm-hmm. and that I, and that receiving reward for using my gifts was wrong. Oh, wow. And how this kind of translated in my life was that I would attract, you know, business partners. It happened when I was young. Um, you know, uh, friends that would, you know, would seem good friends. And I would always have this intuition that, you know, they, they were going to do something to me or, you know, mm-hmm. steal from me or, you know, you know, do something which would disadvantage me in some way. Um, And this extended Mm -hmm. into business. You know, the first business that I set up, um, I was the the top salesman at, um, you know, one branch of a company that I was working at. There was this other guy that was the top salesman at the other branch. And, you know, he kind of approached me one day and, you know, he says, look, you know, I'm, uh, I'm thinking of setting up this business and, you know, you're the top sales guy there and, I need a sales, uh, you know, director, and, you know, do you fancy, you know, doing something together? Yeah. And, you know, I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, I was bringing in a lot of money, you know, for that company. And if I did it for myself, I was going to earn a significant amount more. Um, mm-hmm. So we set up this company and I kind of always knew this, 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 you know, he was a little bit kind of, you know, to want of a better word, dodgy, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, at, at that yeah. time, I, you know, I, I gave the benefit of the doubt because it was like I'd been, mm-hmm. I'd been taught not to use my gift. So my gift right. was telling me one thing and I was like, well, okay, I'm not supposed to be using this. I didn't know this consciously, but I would like give the benefit of the doubt and, you know, give them the trust until they proved me otherwise. The problem is, is the so it kind of became a paradigm. Everything connecting back to that experience, that childhood experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's what what we call you know these emotional memories. I didn't remember that at the time. I didn't relate it back to that incident. It was what we call an implicit memory. An implicit memory is when you have this emotion, but you don't have a recall of the event that in, installed or embedded that emotion in you. Mm. Yes. So, you know, that as it extended into uh, business, eventually um, what happened with that business is, I mean, I pretty much built the whole business. He ended up being a bit of a, uh, what we call a golf club director. 
you know, he, he, he would play <laughs> golf all the time and ring up and say, how's things doing? And I was working from eight in the morning till 11 at night. Uh, I mean, you know, he'd actually, you know, financed the initial part of the business uh, setting up. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had a, 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 not a, a majority share in it. You know, he had the majority share. Uh, so, but I, you know, I was happy. Mm-hmm. I was earning a hell of a lot of money at 21, uh, probably the equivalent of a, probably about 30, 40 grand a month in, you know, today's money. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I trained all the, 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 everybody in the company. Um, I, you know, I always led by example. One of the philosophies that I had in my sales, you know, I always had this philosophy from a very young age. I would go out selling and uh, the average conversion ratio for the industry was like one in four. You know, for every four appointments, you've got a sale. Uh, my conversion ratio was one in 1.3. And oh wow! Yes, you know, I was like, well, if I'm if I'm teaching everybody to sell, I need to be able to convert, you know, so much better than everybody else. And you know, I've always had that, you know, um, philosophy that you know, if if something doesn't work out, it leads you closer to something that will. You know, it's like the old um, Mm -hmm. Edison when he was approached by his friend, and he says, "Look, you know, you've done." thousands of experiments and you, you've failed thousands of times and Edison turned around and said mm-hmm. I haven't failed once he says I have successfully you know several thousand times eliminated ways that this won't work you know making me closer yeah. to the one that will yeah mm-hmm. um and a great yeah it is and when I was out selling and you know if somebody said no I'd actually thank them. I was like, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And they're like, no, 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 no. I've said no. And it's like, I know you said no. They're like, well, why are you so excited? I says, well, this is where I told a little bit of a lie because I I, I didn't want, you know, to brag too much. But I was like, you know, well, I get a sale. Well, every four, you know, three people that say no, on the fourth one, I get a yes. And you're my third no today. So that means the next one's a yes. So you've actually just really helped me get closer to my sales so thank you very much <laughs> and they'd look at me like i was mad you know <laughs> oh, exactly yeah. and you know it's that you know philosophy that uh, winston churchill said i must, I must admit I, I i modified it slightly but winston churchill said success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm whereas my philosophy yeah. is you know, uh, success is going from failure to failure whilst gaining enthusiasm mm. because it's actually getting you closer. So you've got more to be enthusiastic about. Okay. Um, but eventually what happened is um, we had a few challenges uh, with a few of our sales guys not being so honest in their approach. And the whole industry actually had a lot of scrutiny, mm. scrutiny over it by trading standards. And they actually came into us one day and kind of closed us down for an investigation. Uh, and I was out on the road at the time okay. and I, I, I drove all the way back and kind of came in and, you know, uh, greeted them and said, you know, thanks for coming in. And, you know, how do we resolve this? You know, we've got all the best intentions. If we're doing something wrong, you know, then let's identify it and, and put it right. And they were very good, you know, right. they, you know they, they weren't there to, you know, be bad. They're just there to clear things up. There'd been a few scoundrels in the industry and they were just doing a blanket sweep. 
So we identified a few of our processes mm -hmm. which, you know, could help us identify if some of our salespeople weren't uh, being completely honest uh, and put these things in steps in place and do retests and this, that and the other. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. they let us carry on. Now, the, the problem was is that my business partner, this is where I found out, you know, his true character. He was like, well, if we've got a sale and, you know, we go back and we test it and actually didn't need doing, well, we're, we're doing it preventatively anyway. So, you know, where's the harm? We're, we're, we're losing money. We're losing a sale. And it's like, you know, it doesn't work like that. No. We shouldn't have had the sale in the first place. It was sold under misrepresentation by the by our salesman we need to retrain the salesman make sure they're doing it right go back to the client and say look you know you don't need it and, and apologize and he didn't want to do that yeah um because we we did um, damp proofing you know um, we installed damp proofing um systems and then part of our guarantees oh. we would go out a year later we'd test it and if something you know hadn't quite taken would go out and fix it under the warranty and we got to that point in time mm -hmm. and, you know, we were going out and some of the properties, they had a little patch, which, you know, uh, hadn't taken. So I was like, right, let's go out and redo it. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just, just give it a, a, another month or so. And what we'll do is we'll close down and we'll set up in a different name and we don't have to worry about all those. And oh. I was like, no, 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 no. What, mm -hmm. you know, just think of reputation if we do what we say go out, see these people okay we've made a mistake it's not about the mistakes you know i never judge people about a mistake i judge people of how they deal with the mistake mm -hmm. yeah and if we go out put this right. right what better testimonial for us is that yes they did the job and okay there was a little bit that didn't work but they came straight out and redid it exactly how they said you know for me, that would have just got us more recommendations, more business, and built a more ethical company. Sure. But he just didn't see mm -hmm. it. And he, he totally, because he was the, you know, in essence, the main shareholder and the decision maker, he would not do it. So yeah. I ended up basically dissolving the partnership and walking away. Um, and I had still around about 30,000 pounds which uh, it was two dollars to a pound back then, so that was sixty thousand dollars, and I'm talking um, twenty-seven years ago. So you can imagine oh, the value, yes. the equivalent value of that today. You know, it's probably about ninety thousand, you know, exactly, US. Yeah. Um, and he and he stole that from me. I never mm -hmm. got it back. And you know. It, it, oh. This was kind of a trend that yeah, stayed with me, um, you know, throughout my 20s. You know, I'd set up a business, I'd end up with a business mm -hmm. partner, and then the business partner would end up having either problems, they would chaff me, they would sabotage the business, and things like that. So I'd do it. And so that belief kind of took on kind of equating People cannot be yeah, trusted. And I can't use my gifts to protect myself or protect other people. And, you know, whatever reward mm -hmm. I get is always taken away from me. Mm, yeah. Wow. So I ended up, um, it kind of culminated um, 
you know, in my I'm in my thirties. I mean, actually, <laughs> believe it or not, this this my first experience of this in business. Um, you know, well, sorry, well, not my first experience, but I think probably one of the most painful ones, should I say, was when I ended up setting a business up with my dad. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, I was kind of um, late twenties. Uh, my dad had just come out of the corporate world um, for a very large um, kind of life insurance and investment company. And he was senior management there. You know, this was, you know, again, about 20 years ago. He was on like 180,000 a year in pounds back then. Again, you know, you equate that yeah. $2 to a pound and going back 20 years, you know, it was a hell of a lot of money. Um, yeah. Substantial, yeah. And <laughs> I, I actually, he'd just got a brand new company car, this, you know, super expensive, fancy company car. And he sold me his old car. Uh, which ended up being an absolute wreck. Mm-hmm. And it cost me more to fix it than I paid for the car. And when I went back to him, <laughs> um, he was like, well, tough, you should have checked it out more thoroughly before you bought it. Oh, yes. Wow. Now, don't get me wrong. I actually understand him now. This is part of what I do um, in my therapy. All these lessons were just information and learning and growth for me. The universe gives you exactly what you need. I don't lament any of these past experiences, sure. although they felt like a tough one at the time. But if you if, if you know anything about mm-hmm. love languages, you know, you've got, um, you know, mm-hmm. starting from the bottom, you've got words of affirmation, you've got quality time, giving and receiving of gifts, acts of service mm-hmm. and physical touch. Now, when people are acts of service, mm-hmm. they see money as love because the money represents mm-hmm. their time. Oh, wow. So if they earn £1,000 a week and, mm-hmm. you, and they give somebody £1,000, they've just given them a week of their life. You know, it's a subconscious thing. This is kind of how they see it. They might not consciously see it that way, um, but this is kind of how the energy mm-hmm. is. Now, yeah. Very interesting. One of the biggest problems with love languages is we're often speaking a completely different language, you know? So just for example, yeah, Mm -hmm. and this was kind of a similar situation with me and my dad, um, and I'm sure couples out there can probably relate to this. So let's take a, you know, quite a a typical situation. We can switch the gender roles. I'm I'm not kind of intentioning any gender roles, but let's say, you know, um, the the typical one is the, you know, the the wife's at home. She's a a living at home parent, looking after the kids there all day. Um, The father gets home and, you know, their acts of, the, the father's physical touch. So I'm physical touch. Yeah, that's my predominant love language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let's say my partner is acts yeah. of service. Right. So when I get home, I've been busy mm-hmm. all day. You know, all I want is a cuddle and, a, you know, a bit of love and some affection. Yeah. Now, they're acts of service mm-hmm. and they're in the middle of making dinner. You know, the kids have got to, got to you know, get washed and bath and get ready for bed. The bins need putting out because it's the bin next day and everything like that. So I go up and like, oh, you know, can we ever sit down and cuddle? It's like, look, I ain't got time for that. You know, can you put the bins out? You know, get the kids in the bath. And, 
you know, I, we just need to get something done. It's like, well, I just want a quick cuddle. It's like, I ain't got time. So the person whose physical touch is now feeling mm-hmm. rejected, right? <laughs> You're not giving me love and I want some right. love, right? Now, what they're saying, their acts of service mm-hmm. is saying, look, I really want some love at the moment. I need you to do something for me. Yeah. I want an act of service. Uh-huh. Yeah. So both of you are saying, I want love. Neither one of you kind of are receiving love. Now, the person that feels rejected, it's like, oh, all right, mm-hmm. okay, I'll put the bloody bins out and starts going in a grump and a mood because they, ha- they don't feel loved. Now, the problem is, is they're now abusing the other person's mm-hmm. love language. They're like, they're doing the thing that makes them feel loved because they're doing it under duress and moaning about it. They're kind of throwing it in their face. So even though they're doing it, the other person's now not feeling mm-hmm. love. It's like, oh. Well, sod you then if you don't want to help. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it would be really nice if uh, this principle was taught, of course, uh, amongst married people or in marriage counseling, oh, absolutely. anything of that nature, because uh, love language is just something that's extremely rare when it comes to speaking of effective mm-hmm. communication with couples absolutely yeah yeah and this is something i do i i i've got a program i call couples harmonization and you know i use the testing process to help people see the different languages um and incongruence and breakdowns in communication because usually in in 99 of yeah. times in relationships it's a breakdown in communication and a misunderstanding that causes the most turbulence yeah so what happens in that situation sure. is, you know, neither mm-hmm. one is feeling loved. You know, you end up doing all the stuff the other person wanted. Then they sit down and it's right. OK, right. Can I have that cuddle now? And they don't really want to cuddle you. So they kind of give you a half-hearted cuddle. So you, and you can sense that, you know what I mean? And it's, you know, and this is <laughs> where the problems start. So my yeah. father was acts of service. So what he wants me to do is wash his car, mm-hmm. take the bins out, you know, tidy my bedroom. Yeah. And he would feel loved. What I wanted is mm-hmm. a cuddle. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So it's even amongst uh, the parental role it with plays the child. In every it, relationship. It still uh, is the same. Yeah, it plays in every relationship. You know, no matter what it is, interaction, family, friends, kids, mm-hmm. romance, you know, whatever. You know, and so understanding each other's languages. Yeah. Um, but also... You know, one of the one of the challenges is with that is because of that scenario, I I deal with a lot of clients where they've got dysfunctional love languages. Yeah. You know, people will do the test online mm-hmm. uh, on the five love languages dot com. And 60 percent of the time it gives the wrong answer. They think their love language is, um, mm-hmm. you know, gifts, but really it's physical touch. And what it is, is when they were 22, they were they, they were, had a relationship with an abusive boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, who used to, you know, um, get drunk and get violent or something like that. And because their lover mm-hmm. was being physical with them, that was abusing their love language. And it caused so much pain to be abused by the deepest way I want to receive love it's like well sorry I'm going to shut my love language down to protect myself so my secondary love language will actually 
feel like my primary love language because I'm avoiding the one that I want the most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the majority of people's love languages oh, are dysfunctional. Wow. Yeah. I will, you know, muscle test people mm -hmm. and they'll say, you know, what's your uh, dominant love language? And they'll say, oh, it's gifts. And then I'll muscle test it and it's acts of service. And what it was is the, you know, I'll, I'll trace it yeah. back to, you know, oh, it was 27. What was happening? Oh, yeah, I was married to this guy and you know, he just never did anything in the house you know what i mean i'd want him to do stuff then he just wouldn't do it and if he did it he'd just moan like hell and again just abusing their primary love language so they mm -hmm. shut that down it's like well sod it i don't want anybody to do anything for me anymore you know what i mean mm -hmm. wow yes uh-huh so in in your practice you actually help people discover their own love language yes. versus what but they also think the it most is. important thing is i can clear that old energy that trigger it's just a wound there is a wound which you know is this kind of implicit memory which when you think of acts of service it, it just makes you think no sorry i'm independent i'm going to do it myself um you know i don't need anybody yeah where deep down in your heart, you would love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you just kind of masked it and hide, hid it, you know, away. Or physical touch, you know, where you just can't seem to allow yourself to be intimate with somebody um, just because somebody's abused it in the past. Mm -hmm. And they, I mean, it could come from childhood trauma where, you know, people have experienced sexual abuse, you know, um, in, in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And then they shut down that intimacy in later relationships. Sure. Yeah, that is so true with me, just um, as an aside, uh, being a therapist, you know, energy healing and massage therapy, I learned so much by touching the person than what they physically tell me or what's on their intake form or anything, just certain muscle movements or, mm. uh, you know, cleansing up, anything like that will let me know that there's something going on in this mm -hmm. area if they're aware of it or not. And usually it's exactly, exactly. emotion or trauma. And, you know, we, we store... One thing about the body is... Everybody's probably heard of the term psychosomatic. Yeah? Um, mm -hmm, I mean, yes. to break it down, psycho is the mind and soma is the body. Yeah. So what psychosomatic means is it's how the mind mm -hmm. affects the body. Now, every single part of mm -hmm. your body, every organ, your skin, every, every individual finger um, has language attached to it. Yeah? Every disease, every ailment has language attached to it. Yeah. And it's what we call the psychosomatic language. Mm -hmm. So if you understand that between... It was Deepak Chopra and his research found that about 80 to 90 percent of illness and disease, its seed <clears throat> is emotionally related. It comes from some yeah. emotional trauma that the body is attempting to express and communicate. And a lot of it's actually quite intuitive. You know, your shoulders exactly. are about bearing burdens. You know, there's a, there's a common phrase, oh, you look like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know, um, now your mm -hmm. left one is about family. Your right one is about financial. Yeah. 
Your liver is your anger center. Your chest is mm. your emotional center. Yeah. Your knees are about being flexible. Your feet are about mm. feeling grounded and you're feeling like you're going in the right direction. Yeah. Um, your hips are about feeling supported. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, yeah. there's a lot more, you know, to do with it than just these basic bits. But, you know, your hands are about feeling able to hold on to things in life. Right. Yeah. Your eyes are about actually mm -hmm. seeing things. Your, he yeah. your ears are about hearing things. So if you've got hearing problems, usually there's something in your life you do not want to hear. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I, you know, yes. your throat is about communication. Again, people know about the throat chakra and that being blocked and, yep. you know, not being able to speak your truth. Um, I, I, I'll give you an example. I had a client who, mm -hmm. uh, they were due a session. It was a, a Friday that they were due their session in the afternoon. And she rang me up about, you know, sent me, sorry, sent me uh -huh. a message about uh, an hour before it saying, you know, I, I just don't think I'm going to be uh, able to do my session. I've got a really bad cough and a sore throat and I can hardly talk. And I did my testing process of whether, you know, we should leave it or, you know, is it appropriate to do it? Do I need to give it a rest or is this topical and it's something that actually the body's attempting to express that actually needs working on yeah and it and it tested a 10 out of 10 that we needed to do the session yeah. and i says look we've got the time booked anyway let's do the session um you know because it, it 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 seems like it's psychosomatic that and something that's going on at the moment so they agreed to do it and it was actually i, mm -hmm. I was actually visiting them physically when i was back in the uk um, and I did some of my calls, you know, by going to visit people. So anyway, I go, I go to her office and we sit right. down and I go through my testing process and, you know, the, the, the testing process identifies that there's something to do with some members of a family that she's got something which is very difficult to communicate. Um, and you know, she, she doesn't know how to handle it. And she kind of looks at me like, oh, my God, what, really? She says, basically, on Sunday, I've got a family meeting to talk about my wedding, and there's several people that I've got to tell uh -huh. them not invited to the wedding because of the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the drama that they cause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she says, you know, I'm, oh, I'm, wow, I'm actually yes. really nervous about it, right? Well, she actually said, <coughs> I'm really <coughs> nervous mm -hmm. <laughs> because she just got out of the court. Yeah. Oh, boy. So I, I kind of went through the process and, <laughs> you know, you tested the parts of the body and we got all the language attached to it. And we created the description about, you know, this pain and nervousness and, you know, stress and got her to process it out. And, you know, part of what I do is I use the language as the weapon, as the tool uh, to, to, to basically neutralize the trigger. You know, all yeah. language has power. Every word has energy. Mm -hmm. That's why when we write the word, we call it spelling. You know, we're casting magic. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So we, it, during the processing, what I get people to do is there's a tapping on certain meridians. I use certain sound frequencies in the Pythagorean spectrum. Um, and it works like a pattern interrupt to disrupt this, you know, stress response to the language. And as we were going through, 
she was like, you know, I completely love it. <clears throat> so, you know, and she was really struggling to say it. And about halfway through it, a voice like went, I completely love it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I completely love and accept myself, even if and a voice just went normal. No cough, no so no no sore throat. Amazing. And she said the whole sentence without coughing or rasping or anything once. And she looked at me like, "What happened?" And she felt this kind of big, kind of energetic, kind of shock and tingle through her body at the same time. And it was like that was it shifting. It went. Mm-hmm. And that was it. The cough. Um, she thought it was a bacterial infection, but it went. It didn't come back the whole weekend or, or, at all. You know, totally disappeared. You know, this is what I mean about wow. psychosomatic. People don't realize the effect emotions can have on us. And once you release it, the difference it can make. I had another client who was a, a solicitor. And, wow. you know, one of the, the triggers that she actually had was telesales. She hated, hated with a passion um, making calls to clients and potential clients and things like that. And it was, a, you know, it was a, it was a big part of her work. And mm-hmm. um, again, similar scenario. She did the uh, actual sessions on her dinner time. And she sent me a message coming up to dinner time saying, look, I've got a really bad cough today. I just don't think I'm up for doing this session. Can we rebook it? Um, and I was like, you know, I tested it and it was like, no, we've got to do it. You know, and it was the session on telesales that we were doing. And what it was is she had a really important call in the afternoon, uh-huh. uh, which she'd been dreading, you know, to this uh, very high value client. And we, we tackled the session and um, mm-hmm. did the whole session. I mean, again, she was struggling kind of doing it with a cough and that. Uh, we finished the session and she was like, right, I'm going back to work. She went back to work and it was about three hours later. Um, she sent me this voicemail going, oh, my God. Right. You wouldn't believe what just happened. One of my friends in my office has just asked me what what happened. What did I do at dinner? Because I haven't coughed once since I came back from dinner and I hadn't even noticed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and that then, and that kind is of amazing. Just, I think that's really um, touching on the uniqueness of what you do. Um, it just bears witness that it's it's just your intuitive gift that comes along with not just being a, a healer or a healing therapist, but you have other qualities on top yes, of that I mean, that I you incorporate it, into it's what It's kind you're of doing. a double-edged sword. You know, I, I feel very deeply and very intimately the trauma that they went through. That's... In essence, how I'm able to describe it to them in, in such visceral detail. That's it. Yeah, I, I've got to experience yeah, the, the trauma side. that they're going through to be able to understand it. But what I mean by, you know, a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. the other side is, is I experience and feel the elation and the, you know, just the amazing kind of release that they get once it goes. That release. You know, all my clients, I, I end up generating a very, very close and, you know, personal friendship with in many ways, if, especially when we work with each other over a period of time, because I, I don't only learn things about themselves that quite often not told anybody else in their lives, 
but I often tell themselves things about themselves that have not really admitted mm-hmm. to themselves. You know, and it's it's that, you know, self-admission mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. self-acknowledgement which actually achieves a significant part of the release. You know, the, you know, this is, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I've done this with a lot of healers as well. You know, we're taught in this life that this experience that we have um, of reading people is woo-woo. It's, you know, it doesn't happen. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist. You know, we can't sense things over distance from people. Um, you know, there's no science that supports it. So exactly. we're taught that we're <laughs> lunatics. But we have this experience and we get feedback all mm-hmm. the time. Yes. You know, there's a, 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 a great uh, scientist mm-hmm. in the UK, so someone I know personally, um, called Rupert Sheldrake. Yeah. Yes, um, I was going to say if you can touch on he's that. He's written all sorts of books about this kind of the phenomena of consciousness. You know, one great one that he wrote was um, a book called Morphic mm-hmm. Resonance. Yeah. And it talks about this field of information that mm-hmm. we can tap into, um, which explains these types of phenomena. You know, my ability to, you know, read people that are in different countries and tell them intimate details that in some cases, you know, I, I've told people things about themselves that happened when they were three years old. And they're like, no, I, I can't remember any of that. And then they ring the parents up and the parents almost repeat verbatim what I said to them. And they come back and they're like a, a bunny in the headlights. Like, what, what the wow. hell just happened? You know, it's like, how the hell did you know this mm-hmm. stuff? You know. And one of the experiments (laughs) he did was a thing called the telephone telepathy test. And when he he kind of researched Mm -hmm. and went out and asked people on the street, you know, have you you ever had the experience about, you know, you've been thinking about somebody or you've had someone on your mind or someone suddenly jumps into your mind and then all of a sudden they text or ring you? Yeah, mm-hmm. and about 80% <laughs> of people, 80 to 90% of people say, yeah, I've had that experience. And a significant proportion of those say, oh, actually, mm-hmm. that happens to me on an almost daily basis. Now, interestingly, my, my father uh, was mm-hmm. a twin um, with, a, with his sister. And, I mean, this is, I, I can see this is kind of um, mm-hmm. a part where it's running my family in some ways. Because um, my dad, when he was a young teenager, yes. um, he fell off a wall and broke his arm. He's got this huge, like, railway track-looking scar going down his arm because he, you know, he did quite a bit of damage, and they weren't quite so good at repairing him, but, you know, those days, as they are now in the hospitals. But um, his sister was in school. And it was in the middle of the afternoon. And all of a sudden, this was way back before mobile phones or anything like that. And his sister was sat in a school. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, she felt a pain, this pain in her arm. And she kind of went, there's something up. My, 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 my brother's hurt. I've got to go. And she just literally got up and ran out of the school and ran 
to uh, the local hospital where he was in A&E. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. no explanation wow. whatsoever. Can't have possibly known. Yeah? No explanation, no. <laughs> no. There's Absolutely. no logic behind and, that You know, in, in many all. ways, you know, so Rupert Sheldrake's experience, the, the experiment, he found that people that were blood-related and or had a very close, um, affectionate, loving or romantic relationship, um, mm. they had this experience a mm-hmm. lot more than others, Yeah. Um, so he did an experiment. There was a um, a group, a, a musical group yeah. called the Nolan Sisters. Um, you know, some people that are old enough might be able to uh, mm-hmm. remember these from back in the day. Um, and <laughs> there was five sisters. And the experiment he did, if I remember right, they did it, he, he did it on the BBC, um, you know, TV. And he was at the, uh, they the, had two of the TV mm-hmm. studios that they used. They were about, I think 40 or 60 miles apart. I can't remember the exact figure, but, you know, they, they were a distance apart. And they placed one of the sisters in a TV studio at one of them and the other four at the other TV studio. And he would put the four in a room and make them watch a, a TV mm-hmm. program, in essence, to di- distract their mind. And what he would do is one at a time, he would come in, pull one of the sisters out of the room, sit them in front of a telephone and say, right, what I want you to do is just think of your sister. Just picture them in your mind, sat at the other end of the phone and just kind of say hello to them. Send, send you know, your thoughts to them. And then when you've done that, pick the phone up and ring. Mm-hmm. Now, the sister on the other end, um, when the phone started ringing, what they had to do is intuitively guess which sister was ringing them. Yeah. Now, if it had just been pure chance, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, pure random, it would have been one in four, a 25% chance. Simple as that. One in four. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. A 25% chance. What they did actually <laughs> score was 60%. Right. Statistically oh. significant, Overhead. but one bit which actually adds to it even more mm-hmm. was one of the sisters that was a member of the four at the other place. Absolutely, and you know, thought this was just woo woo. It was like, no, this is a load of rubbish. It's not going to work. It's total woo woo. Mm-hmm. You know, don't believe it in at all. The sister. Guessed her zero times. So didn't even get the 25%. Oh. It was like oh. a confirmation. It was a confirmation at the other end of the scale. No. You know, it was like she blocked her, right? Which is statistically mm-hmm. significant in itself. You know, mm-hmm. you if it if it if there was nothing at play, she would have right. still guessed her, you know, a quarter of the time. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. right, but she basically said, "This is how I feel," and her mind exactly. went with exactly, exactly what she was in agreement and with. They've found this in many, many other experiments, and they've done thousands of these. And you know, 
again, when you know people have got this bond, the the statistical average goes up. Now, way, 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 many, 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 many years before I even knew about Rupert Sheldrake and knew about this, you know, I mean, when I was seven, I think I was seventeen. I was just turned. It was either sixteen or seventeen. It was on that cusp. Um, I had my first real experience in a in a in a very kind of confirmational way um, when I was a teenager, and I had a a very very close friend. I always I've always related to female friends than I have male friends all my life. Um, I don't know what it was. Maybe they're just a little bit more compassionate than um, <laughs> male friends. I don't. Um, and. Yeah. We, were, we were very, very close <laughs> friends at school. And after we left school, um, there was a period of time we we just didn't talk, you know, for no real reason. We were just, you know, life and all that kind of stuff. And it was about, I would say, eight months, right. I think it was, um, nine months or something like that, since we'd actually spoken to each other. Now, I'd been dating um, this girl who, you know, I was in love with and everything like that. As you do, you fall in love rather quickly at the teenager. Um, and we'd just broken up and I was at home lying on my mm-hmm. bed, mm-hmm. sobbing my eyes out. It was the end of the world, as you can imagine. <laughs> Life's over. Yeah. <laughs> Life is over. Um, <laughs> and my phone went, right? And I picked, my, picked the phone up and... It was my old friend. Mm-hmm. And she says, look, um, you might think I'm weird. I don't know, but I, ju- I was just, I was at home just sitting listening to music and I just got this image of you lying on your bed crying and I just knew I had to ring you. Oh. Exactly. You know, just oh after gosh. all that time, <laughs> just such a, you know, and it was like, well, that just, freaky and i've just i've experienced this all mm-hmm. my life now when I, I had a play with this i actually you know um right. broke up uh with my wife when i was in my late 20s and i started dating again you know uh in my early 30s and um you know yeah you know, I, I basically went mm-hmm. on the dating sites you know that you did back then um and you know chat rooms and things like that yeah and you know i'd I'd get talking to women and um and would start communicating and i would actually have a little play sometimes and you know just one of the examples i'll give you um i i decided to do this experiment and what i did is every time i went to send this lady a message i'd type out the message i would then pause and I would mm-hmm. just close my eyes and think of them, right? And I hadn't, you know, this was before video chatting, and I hadn't actually had a physical phone call with them yet. We'd only been texting. Um, and, you know, before that, it was on the internet, on the chat room mm-hmm. side thing. Um, and I would take a minute out, and I would think of them, and I'd think of the message and everything like that, and then I'd press send, Right. And I'd been doing that with every message, you know, for about five days. Right. And then um, we did this phone call for the mm-hmm. first time. Yeah. And when she rang me up, 
you know, she was like, look, I've got something to admit to you. You might think I'm, you know, a bit crazy. Um, but for the, for the last, like, you know, maybe nearly a week, maybe five <laughs> days, right, I've just had this weird feeling. It'd be like I'd be sit there and I'd get this tingling, you know, all over my body. I'd just get this weird tingling, you know, and I'd think, oh, he's messaged me. And I'd pick my phone up and there's no message there. And then I put mm-hmm. it down, and then a minute later, the text message had come through. And she didn't say anything to me because oh. she felt like a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um, yeah, this interesting is weird. Thing is I then explained <laughs> what I'd been doing, uh, which freaks her out a lot. And um, it actually went, went mm-hmm. the other way, and we, uh, we didn't really speak that much again. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but I, you know, mm-hmm. I play with that. I can literally get people Correct. to call me or message me by intentionally sitting there, focusing on them, sending in the energy out. And, you know, a lot of the time it would happen within, you know, a few minutes. And, you know, so one of. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it pr- absolutely, probably absolutely. fascinated you, know, it you more than me, it did you know, the other just person. Confirm that this phenomenon is real and. I can feel people and I can connect with them and I can read them and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's, there's, it, and it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon because it's not just related to humans. Um, Rupert Sheldrake did a, another experiment, you know, along these lines. Mm-hmm. And what it was is that one of his friends, um, they had this little Jack Russell dog. And what it would do is every day, um, 30 mm-hmm. minutes before, you know, uh, the owner, the, you know, let's say the mother, you know, it was the female um, owner, uh, got home. The dog would sit up, run to the window and just sit mm-hmm. there waiting. And it didn't seem to be, you know, random times they'd get home, but it was 30 minutes mm-hmm. on average that the dog would get up and walk, walk to the window and wait. So what they did is um, they got two video cameras and they mm-hmm. press record at the same time, right? One video camera stayed trained on the dog, and the other video camera mm-hmm. went with uh, the lady as she went out, yeah? Now, they went out with an assistant, and they would go to town and mm-hmm. sit in a cafe or, you know, do something. Um, and then Rupert, at some point during the day, would ring the assistant, and then the assistant would turn around and say, right, it's time to go home. Within, on average, 30 seconds mm-hmm. of the lady being told it was time to go home, the dog's ears pricked up and it ran to the window. Yeah. Wow. You know, and I, I could go on and on. on a... Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that right there is now. Yeah. It tells you there's yeah, no well, logical, logical explanation, explanation behind that. And is it's there is real. an energetic you know, the, connection even between all living things mm-hmm. that we can innately sense. Yes. Yeah, and this is kind of what is book. Exactly. Yeah, well, Adrian, we have um, a few minutes left. And um, I wanted you to share a little bit. It's called... Um, your your actual what you've co- what you've coined it as is um, 
the uh, subconscious surgery. And I think that that's a very intriguing title and it raises you know, eyebrows even in the industry because no one really knows what that is. And so they're intrigued to know. And now that we know a little bit more about it, uh, how can I, our audience get in touch with you if they well, wanted to reach yeah, out yeah. privately or if you have a website, phone number, anything? I think that the healing aspect of what you do is not just putting a Band-Aid on things, but you actually go to the yeah, core I mean, one of, my passions, of whatever the person is going through, and that's this, very rare. Say, for like 30 years. And, you know, basically on myself as well to heal, you know, some of my mm-hmm. own wounds that I had picked up over the years. And one thing I found is, is I get a lot of clients coming to me thinking they can't be healed. You know, they've done hypnotherapy, they've done some CBT, they've done counselling, they've done this, they've done that, they've done the other, and it just hasn't worked. And what I've found is that a lot of them, mm-hmm. you know, the analogy I like to give is it's like, you know, they strim the weeds, yeah? And it looks pretty, it looks better at first. Sometimes it feels better. But you, if you don't remove mm-hmm. the deep root, it just grows back and then comes back and then starts affecting you again. So that was kind of the, the driving force behind, you know, me developing this. Right. And it was actually Jack Canfield's mentor, which kind of introduced me to the, the components of some of the tools, um, along with some other research and uh, things that I've been kind of accumulating over the years, which I've put together to create this unique process. And it just mm-hmm. clears it on that deep emotional, you know, mm-hmm. reactionary level. It, it literally reprograms the limbic system and it removes that trigger response. Sure. It gives you the spiritual message behind it. Mm-hmm. It gives you the cognitive understanding of, you know, the origins of it and how it actually happened in the first place. And it removes the energetic signature from the body as well. And it's removing it from those four levels which get a very physical and visceral and experiential result that's permanent and lasts. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, I have a website, um, mm-hmm. just subconsciousurgery.com. Um, they can, I've got my Facebook group, uh, Subconscious Surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, my name, Adrian Safina, they can approach me from uh, my, you know, normal Facebook uh, which I get a lot of people inquiring through there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Adrian Taffender on there. I've got a YouTube channel, Subconscious mm-hmm. Surgery. Um, so, you know, I've got a, a lot of content on there. If, you know, you want to mm-hmm. go on, there's lots of tools and lots of perspectives. Um, I've got a lot of content that I need to get edited and kind of uploaded and stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more... Um, uh, videos uh, on my mm-hmm. Facebook and some lives answering questions, but I give a free consultation. And the one thing that I guarantee with all the work that I do is, you know, you if you give me the download, what what's the symptoms? That's all I need, right? What's going on in your life? You don't even need to know a lot about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, I just can't seem to, you know, find somebody to stick with or you know I'm, I'm, i keep attracting narcissistic girlfriends or boyfriends or i can't seem to get past a certain level of income or, you know I, I get triggered around this situation <laughs> whatever it is just give me the symptoms i can then test you know on a score of one to ten of mm-hmm. whether i can actually clear it or not yeah that's my first thing i do 
right? Am I your suitable therapist? If I'm not, I'll tell you straight, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I can't clear this or I can clear 50% of it. And sometimes to people like, if you can give me a 50% improvement, then yes, that's worth mm-hmm. its weight in gold sometimes. It depends what it is. But, you know, I'll turn around and say, right, that's this success. is your expectation. This is what I can achieve. It's going to take mm-hmm. so many hours of work. And this is the period of time that that work's going to be spread out of. We've got a, a certain process that we've got to through, go through for what we call neuroplasticity. Mm. Yeah. Our brains mm-hmm. have the ability to rewire themselves, but we've got certain mm-hmm. neuroplastic rules. It takes 25 to 30 days to reprogram something to, so it becomes innate and part of your core mm-hmm. system. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be working with mm-hmm. me for over that. If it's a very specific trigger, I might be able to remove it in one session. Yeah. Um, but then I will give you daily practices and techniques that you will use for the next 30 days to strengthen it, you know, uh, and, and do it yourself. You know, I, I make you self-sufficient. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, every step up the ladder has a different belief system mm-hmm. we've got to tackle. Quite often, you know, there's a holistic kind of approach where, OK, you've got money blocks in your business, but sometimes they're related to relationship issues. You know, I had one, for example, that um, I had a, one of my belief systems that I knew about, I was conscious about, I'd kind of chosen to have it in many ways. I knew I was going to be successful. I've, I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always made good money. Um, but one of the blocks that I had, you know, was in my relationship. And I had this thing that I wanted to meet the woman of my dreams that I was going to spend the rest of my life with before I was a millionaire, right? Because I wanted to know they weren't a gold digger, right? I want, they wanted me for me and not for what I could provide, yeah? But one thing I found out when I got into this process and testing is that I had a belief system in the background that I wasn't worthy of the woman of my dreams until I was successful, Yeah, it's like that entrepreneurial successful part of me is part of me that actually Mm -hmm. makes me an attractive person. But my my kind of consciousness was that, well, if that makes me an attractive person, then they just want me for my money. I never equated that I might attract a woman who's successful in her own right, had her own me, didn't give a damn Mm -hmm. about mine, but was actually attracted to me because I was like her successful. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And because of that incongruent belief, whenever my (laughs) relationships suffered, my Mm -hmm. businesses suffered. Because it was like, well, if my relationships ended, I've got to get rid of all the success so I can be humble again to meet the woman so she loves me for me and then build together again. Yeah. So, you know, they can be related in so many ways. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the time Mm -hmm. I deal with all aspects of people's relationships and family life and business and self-worth and, you know, things like that. Um, So I often deal with multiple layers over a period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, lots of things have kind of happened in our lives and there's layers Mm -hmm. to peel off. So what I will do is I'll say, right, you've given me the download of all the different things you want doing. That's going to be, you know, eight sessions or 15 sessions over five months or 10 months or whatever it might be. And then I quote, in essence, for me achieving that goal. Mm -hmm. 
because a lot of therapists, you just keep working with them and working wow. with them, and it's open ended. Wow, Sorry. Well, this is great. I'm glad. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm glad we're, we've got a few minutes here, and I don't want it to cut off. <laughs> yes, this is uh, so phenomenal. Uh, this whole subconscious surgery and everything that comes with it is probably bar none uh, compared to the industry and uh, actually mm-hmm. getting to the mm-hmm. core of the issue with people and not just band-aiding whatever they're dealing with. And uh, I would re- truly recommend anyone that's listening to get a hold of Adrian if you know someone that could use his services uh, to definitely um, reach out. And what I'll do is go ahead, Adrian, and put your information in the comment section, all of your links and uh, Facebook pages and profiles and uh, Instagram and your YouTube. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to Adrian. I'm so glad that you made the call, Adrian, and that you took time out of your schedule to be with us today. And uh, this has just been phenomenal. I'm definitely fascinated by it. And I know a lot of different healers and therapists and emotional uh, techniques, but I have never heard of uh, the approach that you take, you know, so that well, puts I, you really above. I appreciate your invitation. Above, uh, and, the norm, uh, if you enjoyed will. it very much. I mean, so, yeah. I, I offer a few <laughs> consultations, no obligation. Um, I'll just tell you the score. And for me, I just leave it to the universe. Everybody who's destined to work with me and who I'm going to do a great job will come to me. And that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you, Adrian. And uh, like I said, if anyone uh, would like to know more about it, he does have free consultations and uh, everything will be down in the comment section of my second post on Facebook. And um, we can go from there and he'd be more than happy to assist you in any area of your life. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And again, uh, grateful to have you, Adrian. And I'm sure you'll be getting uh, contacted uh, by some people that are intrigued or interested. And thank in you for your doing. wonderful energy and your uh, passion and your as time. As a world to changer, actually. Facilitate these things to <laughs> so. just get, the, get things out there for people. You know, everybody needs help at some point in time. So it's just finding the right person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Adrian, we're going to wrap it up. And uh, again, thank you. And our audience, thank you. And uh, yeah, until next week, uh, you know, we're here and uh, I will catch everyone next week. All right. So have a wonderful uh, top of your week and uh, we'll talk with you later. Okay. Have a 